0: As we continue working our way through the Gospel of Mark, today we're on chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 29. And as soon as the early disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed, and Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you, and he answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns. So that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee. Proclaiming the message in their synagogues. And casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. I've appreciated the number of people who comment that they are enjoying this series of sermons from the Gospel of Mark. I've gotten a lot out of preaching them as well, which is one of the things I enjoy about preaching a sermon series. We have two more sermons at the outset of Mark before we move over to the Gospel of John for Lent and Easter. When we return to Mark in early June, we will remain with this gospel, with Mark's gospel, for virtually the remainder of the year. But even in these next two sermons from Mark, they will be separated by time. I'll be preaching from Mark today. Next Sunday, our youth will be leading the services. I understand there are five sermons, so hold on to your hats. The following Sunday, Jacob is scheduled to preach from the story of Noah And then on February 25th, I'll return to Mark, where Jesus will make the first of three predictions of his death, something the disciples cannot at all believe. We will then enter an experience during Lent of the movement towards Jesus' death leading up to his resurrection. When, during the season of Easter, we will celebrate all the hope it brings as the sun rises earlier and the flowers bloom, neither of which can come close to outshining the resurrection. But before we get to all that, today's story is about Jesus' healing power. And as you can imagine, there is an element of beauty and hope that it brings. Let us pray. Beauty and hope, Lord. Beauty and hope. Use this sermon, these words, this service to such ends. Beauty and hope. Amen. So the newly called and newly minted disciples have just seen Jesus perform an intense exorcism on a man possessed of an unclean spirit. Something to which we can most relate if we encounter an out-of-control human being on a street corner or in a public building. A person who seems both threatening and tragic at the same time. But as you may recall... That story began and ended with Jesus' disciples being amazed not at his powers of exorcism, whatever those may have entailed, but at the simple authority of his teaching, of his proclamation that in him and through him the reign and rule of God had come near. A dramatic exorcism of demonic spirit, spirits in a small synagogue in Capernaum Is not an end in itself. It is an expression of the kingdom of God that God has brought a bit closer. An overall message of the story is that Jesus was not just a dramatic exorcist or faith healer. But the proclaimer and bearer of God's kingdom which had in him come nearer in its reign and rule of the earth. Much the same message is present in today's story. Fresh from standing by and witnessing exorcism and proclamation on the part of Jesus, the disciples enter the home of two brothers, Andrew and Simon, the first and second disciples that Jesus had called. Because Jesus and his disciples travel around the countryside from village to village, We often don't think of them as having such common experiences or accoutrements like spouses and homes and yards and trees. But Simon and Andrew own a home, and at least Simon is married, for he has a mother-in-law who is ill and recuperating at the home that he and Andrew own. Mark narrates that Simon's mother-in-law has a fever. It is serious enough that she is bedridden, but Mark goes into no more detail about her condition than that. When Jesus and his disciples enter the house, someone calls Jesus' attention to the woman at once. Jesus approaches the woman, takes her by the hand, lifts her up, The fever leaves her, and she begins to serve them. Now, I want us to stop and take notice of this sentence for a while. Simon's mother-in-law moves from being bedridden to being healed to serving. We don't know the physiology of her healing. And we might stereotypically assume that once she is well, she gets up and starts cleaning the house and making dinner for the two men who have joined her two male relatives with whom she is living or recuperating. But the word serving in this sentence involves much more than the hospitality of sharing food. It is the same word used to describe what angels were doing to Jesus after he survived the famishment of temptation for 40 days in the wilderness. It is a word of spiritual and existential blessing, of life in the midst of the threat of death. There is something about the woman's serving That transcends normal acts of hospitality and kindness. It has a holy, transformative, even angelic character to it. It is, in the best sense of the word, emissarial from God. But notice she is only able to do such serving after she is healed. There are times in our lives... When we are slowed down by illness or injury or aging or grief. There are times in our lives when surgery and recuperation are the orders of the day. There are times in our lives when we are simply tired. There are times in our lives when we need to heal mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. There are times in our lives when our families need to heal, and we need to heal as part of them. This one sentence in this story is a picture of how it can work when the fever left her. She began to serve them. It is not until whatever fever is holding us back. And forcing us to the sidelines. Leaves us. That we can be of much good serving. But when the fever leaves. When we experience healing. We can often arise from that bed and serve. Like the angels ministering to the starving Jesus in the desert. When the fever Left her, when the fever left her, she began to serve. Now, I want to take this word fever one step further. This may not be directly in the text, but I actually think it's going to connect with the text a few episodes later. There is a kind of fever that slows us down with pain and lack of energy. This is the kind that besets Simon's mother-in-law. But there is another kind of fever as well. This second kind of fever is the sheer movement of adrenaline through our mind and body that leads us not to slow down, but leads us to a heightened, even manic energy. This is the fever that comes in a religious conversion. This is a fever that comes in the opening hours or days or weeks of falling in love. This is the fever that comes when we receive the news of an acceptance into an honors program, an elite military corps, a top flight graduate school, an election to public office, an elevation to a tremendous new responsibility within our vocation or our family. This is the fever that comes when something is so Exciting and challenging and filled with opportunity or responsibility that we simply cannot stop. I remember way back at the beginning of my 7th grade year. Which was the beginning of what was called junior high in those days. There was a group of us who loved basketball. And we fashioned ourselves as future NBA All-Stars. And we were so excited because once we entered the 7th grade, we got to leave behind those rinky-dinky church league basketball teams and play for a public school team. It was exciting. The first day of practice as we 7th graders had to wait for what seemed like hours while the eighth grade team used the court that we were going to practice on. And, of course, they were, you know, had seniority, so they got to use the court longer. So we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And then finally they vacated the court. And we got to run out on the court and take our places. And the young, dedicated coach who watched us in our places just laughed. Just laughed. It was a laugh of affection untainted by sarcasm or untainted by condescension. But he looked at us and said, you guys just need to settle down. You're just hopping around and hopping around. You're never going to learn anything. Just settle down. The fever Of getting on to the school court for the first time was so exciting. The adrenaline was flowing so intently. It was getting in in the way of our ability to play as a unit, as a team. We were just too excited. Sometimes such a fever has to abate in order for us to be at our best to serve. A religious conversion has to develop and mature through prayer and study and the acquisition of wisdom. The early days of a romantic love has to settle into steady and committed partnership, into covenant. Admission to a service academy must lead to the maturity and toughness that comes through basic training. Basic and training being two words which seem sometimes at odds with the excitement of fever. The wife of the coach who calmed us down in that seventh grade greeted me in line at my mother's funeral five years ago. She said that the coach sends his greetings, but he couldn't attend. Because he had practice that day. He was still coaching in his 80s. Either the fever had never left him. Or he had learned how to manage it well. So as to keep coaching. Keep serving. Decade after decade after decade. There is a hint that this kind of balance and mastery of fever comes in the next scene of this episode. Listen to how the text reads. That evening at sunset, the disciples brought to Jesus all who were sick or possessed of demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. Notice the contrast. All who were sick and brought to Jesus. The whole city stood at the door. But Jesus cured many. Many demons were cast out. Many demons. Is never all. Some who were ill. Were not cured. Some demons were still left to roam the room. And dominate the lives of those whose spirits they entered. It is one of the mysteries. And perhaps even one of the tragedies of our faith. That not everyone is healed. Not everyone who even comes to within speaking or touching of Jesus is cured of their maladies. Neither is every evil spirit contained. The fact that healing is selective, impartial, uneven, can be a theological and intellectual problem for many of us. But when it is we who are not healed, when it is someone we love, when it is someone we admire and in whom we place our hopes, Who doesn't receive the healing. Then it's personal. And that's a matter of faith. A challenge to faith. Even the precipitation of a crisis in faith. I have come all the way to this house. And now we're headed home. Unhealed. Why? Why? The disappointment may be intensified when we read the next paragraph. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus gets up and goes out from the home of Simon and Andrew to a deserted place. And there he prays. And Simon and his companions hunt for him. When they find him, they say to him, Everyone is searching for you. And Jesus answers, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. This can feel like a harsh rejection, a harsh reality, an insensitive turning away from people in need. But Jesus' role on earth is not simply to be the faith healer or the exorcist. Rather, Jesus' role on earth is to proclaim a new stage in the reign and rule of God, That is That his own coming has inaugurated. But this new stage does not yet mark the completeness of that reign and rule. It will only be after his death and resurrection and gift of the spirit and ascension and return that we will fully know the reign and rule of God. That we will fully be healed. All of us. In the meantime, and we are a meantime people we step into this reign and rule of His, joining Him in proclaiming the healing of all creation that has begun, joining Him in proclaiming the healing of all life to which He points, joining Him in proclaiming the healing of all minds and spirits and bodies to which He ultimately promises, celebrating such manifestations as we see them and experience them and receive them and benefit from them. Mourning the incompleteness. Of which we're painfully aware. But moving from the fever of our beginnings. Into the wise and steady living out. Of our trust in him. Every day of our lives. Every situation. Knowing that we are part of something. Much larger than ourselves. And much more significant than even simply our day and time on earth. Trusting all the time that his reign and rule will come to full fruition in God's own time, in God's own way, in God's own day. And trusting that we will experience the joy of being part of it along the way In the healings and glimpses of healing that come our way. And even in those times when healings remain hidden or distant. Or as we see them only in people we love. Whom God must bring into the heavens in order to heal. Rather than heal in this life on earth. Like Simon's mother-in-law, when the fever breaks, be it disease or be it adrenaline, we shall arise and we shall serve. Our efforts are no less significant than those of the angels. Amen.